everyone, and welcome to the Weekly Marketer Podcast. Every single week, we interview deep dive experts in one of the many fields of marketing to drop huge knowledge bombs from the best of the best and teach you how to take your marketing skills to the next level. This is episode 008, and I'm sitting with Aaron Kral, who is one of the most skilled conversion rate optimization experts in the world. He runs the massive Facebook group SaaS Growth Hacks and has recently tripled the conversion rate for one of his clients. Aaron, thank you so much for being here with me. You're so welcome, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So conversion rate optimization. I feel like as you know, so my main thing is I'm like a a media buyer strategist, right? And, you know, mostly around paid digital social ads and stuff. And I feel like conversion rate optimization is one of the most important and least talked about aspects of any marketing campaign. You know, how how'd you how did you sort of get into that? You know, how does one become a conversion rate optimization expert guru, right? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I've started multiple businesses and failed at a lot of businesses. And some of the businesses I ran before were focused on just like digital marketing. And as a digital marketing specialist, you have to be an expert in everything. Otherwise, it's really hard to get clients, or at least that's what I thought. Um, so I would solve everyone's problems and I would do everything for everyone, whatever it was. And I got really burned out doing that. So I sold off a lot of my clients. I took like a month off and I just kind of asked myself, what audience can I solve a very specific pain for? And I looked at, I'm, I'm part of a mastermind group and, and we, we thought about some ideas and, and came across SaaS as a, as a very wide open opportunity for me to step in and help solve a specific problem set. And I, I went into the market not knowing what the problem that I would be solving would be. And so I started this group. Really, I really started the group because there's there wasn't a really good SaaS group out there. And the second was I just wanted to like have a place where I could talk to my customers and ask them what problems they had. And so I just over time, I, I would just bring in clients and say, hey, I'm trying to solve some of your problems. Like, what, what is your biggest problem? And I realized that for a lot of SaaS companies, there's different levels of pain and, and problem sets they have. One of the problems that I felt like I was really uniquely qualified to help with was conversion rate optimization or converting more trials to paid users. In the SaaS world, it's like you live or die by how many people you can convert from your homepage. So I just uh, went in, not really knowing a lot about SaaS and how it works, spoke with hundreds of SaaS companies, worked with dozens more, and finally developed a system and a a framework for for solving that particular problem. And then I just started doing it uh, full-time, solving that one specific problem. So it just came about by talking to my market and figuring out that's what they needed. That's fantastic. And that's a really... I think that's a really smart way of kind of looking at it. And I think that, you know, you hit on a really important point early on, which is a lot of people feel like they have to do it all uh, when it comes to, you know, being a professional services person, and especially because like quality clients are hard, you know, they're hard to come by. It's a lot of work to win a quality client. So you don't want to just leave money on the table. But, you know, kind of what, what's your experience been like so far as, you know, kind of the the you know, do you find that to be true? Are you leaving money on the table? Like, you know, it's like a a conversion rate sort of like, no, I mean, I I don't mean that in like a, like a weird way. I'm just saying like, I think that that's a lot of anxiety that I feel, but I also similarly niched. Right. And so I think that kind of walking through that is, is useful for a lot of people. Oh yeah. That's, that's a huge, huge fear. Um, And I always had the other fear that I had was I didn't want to be pigeonholed into doing one thing. 
like an assembly line, you know, like punching the one hole in the metal for like the rest of my life. Cause I just figured I would just get so drained and just, you know, it'd be so annoying. So I was scared of that too. And then I, I but I was, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Becoming an expert in a, solving a specific problem is like becoming a cardiovascular surgeon versus becoming a general practitioner. People know by the time they're ready to hire a cardiovascular surgeon, they've already been through a general practitioner. So they know what problem they have. All they need now is someone to solve their problem and they want the best to do it. Like you don't want to go to a general practitioner or a heart surgeon to work on your lungs, right? So by being, I, I believe that you don't have to be the best in the world at solving a problem. You just have to be the only one that solves a specific problem. So if you're the only one, people don't have a choice. They have to go to you. And plus, when you solve a specific problem, you can build frameworks and you can get massive results and you can you can start narrowing down your client and say, I only can help people that fit this certain certain criteria. But if you do fit this certain criteria, the results I can get you are amazing. I mean, here's what I can do and, and here's how we do it together. So I have found that it hasn't restricted me. It's actually increased not only my like awareness as like what I do, but also my, my client base. Right. Ab- absolutely. I actually find the same thing. And I just wanted to bring it up because it's a constant anxiety of, of mine, to be honest, you know, kind of focusing on like paid media and not doing everything for everyone. But no, that's interesting. So, you know, kind of focusing more on the aspect of the work, what is it, you know, what what is conversion rate optimization? What goes into that? Or is conversion rate optimization even the right way of phrasing it? Maybe I'm being too narrow-minded or broad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the SaaS world, it's 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 trial to paid visitor to trial and trial to paid conversions. So it's converting traffic into a paid customer. The reason it's a little bit different for SaaS is just the only differentiator really is that the SaaS model is such that a customer pays you monthly for a specific service. Conversion rate optimization. I think it's more applied to kind of internet marketing type in the, in the world because you have to have high conversions because you only have one product that you're selling or a very low ticket product. And so you have to, you only have one chance to sell them on a, on a specific product. Usually for SaaS, the customer value is a lot higher. It could be in the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And so each of these customers is really, really valuable. So for SaaS, it's a matter of getting cold traffic and turning them into a trial and then from a trial, getting them into a paid product. So there's there's that trial element where you can actually try the product and then the monthly. So that's that's kind of like the difference in that. And so the, the right terminology is most likely going to be something like trial to paid conversions or visitor to trial conversions. Okay, interesting. So visitor to trial conversions. So when you come into a company and you sit down and you say, we need to increase visitor to trial conversions, right? First off, what sort of companies... You know, you say SaaS, right? And you, you kind of allude to more of this like kind of higher end tick, like ticket item. Is that like a fair assessment or does it kind of run the gamut? It kind of runs the gamut. The, the big, the companies that I can help the most are ones with at least 5,000 visitors a month in traffic because there's a lot of volume there and there's a lot of things that we can leverage to increase traffic. I'm not really too concerned about like the price point, but no matter, no matter how much traffic you have, the process is the same. 
Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, you, so you know, let's say I've got a I've got a SaaS product. I want to increase my trial to paid conversions, and you know, I invite you in. What, what what sort of things do you start looking at? What's the what's the state of the practice of the of of this discipline? So there's there's three elements that I look at focusing on onboarding. There's three uh, pillars. One is what I call the niche dive. The second is the value switch. And the third is the journey. So okay, everything... I like the names. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, they're not yeah. trademarked, so please don't steal them. Um, I, I, I will do my best, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> no promises. Yeah. So the niche dive is the foundation, and that is where we take the proverbial whiteboard of what you think your customers want and their needs and their desires. I call it the frustrations and aspirations. We wipe that clean and we fill it with words from your customers. So there's a few different processes that we go through. We, we have a pain discovery process, which is interviewing potential and current clients to find out what are the problems that they have related to the pain that you're solving and also feedback related to the product. Pain and product are the two elements you want to look at. And then once we start to do that, we build out a library and we develop themes based on what your audience is telling you about your product and about their pain. And so we build out from that foundation, we establish, okay, what is what is it that customers love about your product? What are some objections they have? What are the problems that they have related to the job they want to get done? And what are some aspirations that they have regarding the job they want to get done? And then once we've established that, we've been, we're able to position the product in a way that shows that we can deliver the promise, the promise of solving a customer's specific pain set. So that's the niche dive. Then we move into the value switch, which is what is the moment in the product where the customer has to experience for them to see the value potential of the product. Some call this the aha moment or the North Star metric, what is that moment where customers experience for themselves the value of the product? Because at that point, they're pretty much sold on the product. And then after that, which is the journey, which is how do we lead them to that moment and make it as easy as possible? So those are the three categories that we use to kind of build out that process. That's absolutely fascinating. And I hadn't thought about it broken down into those sort of categories of of sort of activities, right? And that's a really smart framework to think about it. You know, when it comes to actually pulling those levers and working inside of those categories, you know, what sort of what sort of tactics do you find yourself kind of utilizing? Is it just design work? Is it, you know, maybe like marketing channels like email or push notifications or something like that? Is it you know, continued education, like webinars and, and blog posts and white papers and things like that. How, how does that work? How do, what sort of tactics do you find yourself using? Um, so uh, there's so many tools out there and there's so many tools that promise a specific outcome. I've realized that the tools that you use should be based on the strategy that you develop. And so so some of my clients, like their product is very complicated or more complicated than others. And so it really helps to have something like AppCues or Help Hero to guide them through the process of like how to do a specific thing in the product. Other tools, that's, that's not necessary. I mean, the basic, the basic things that you need in order to track conversions are 
One, you need to have something that allows you to track triggers in your onboarding. So you, you can see, you could log in and see what a user is doing in the tool and what they're not doing. And then have a series of emails and in-app messages. Those are usually the two forms of communication that work best in onboarding to help them get the next step. But even before that, and there's no tool that exists to do that. Um, I, uh, if you know of someone who has this tool or if one of your listeners has this tool, um, let me know. I, I'll make you a rich rich man. What it is, it's like a built-in onboarding tool. Interesting. Okay, a built-in onboarding tool. How would that... Yeah, that would be... <laughs> that sounds like a billion-dollar company. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what it is, is you're familiar with like wizards, right? Like when you log in and there's like wizard, one, your step one, two, three, and four. Right, yeah. Built-in onboarding, what you do is you build out this wizard and most people have to hard code it, but each one of the steps in the wizard is the steps that you need to, your user needs to accomplish in order to get to the moment of first value. So by the end of that wizard, that built-in onboarding, everything is they've done in the product that they need to, to experience value. Now, the only step after that is for them to just see it. If a customer gets like hung up somewhere in the process, then you have like emails and messages to help them bring them back into the tool. But most of that stuff can be done through just, you know, things like intercom and convert Fox and then your own design. As an aside, have you checked out user guiding or help hero? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Oh yeah. User guiding help hero. I know all those guys. They're fantastic tools used properly. They're, they're really, really helpful in increasing conversions. Yeah. I was just curious if, yeah, I was curious if that's kind of what you were getting at or, or not, but no, that's great. That's great. So that's really interesting. So I guess my question would be, you say SaaS and, you know, kind of helping helping out in that sector, and that's already a niche sector, but each client is surely a little bit unique, you know, kind of how do you approach understanding, you know, somebody's unique problems and how to, how to properly tailor this process to their needs where they are right now? And, you know, what consideration, I guess, for a part two, does their customer segment sort of come back to you with, you know, like what, what is that? Does that matter? You know, what like who their customers are and, and things like that? And does that factor in? Yeah, totally. So initially what we do is with onboarding, we pick a specific market to focus on first to build out an onboarding process for. It's really hard to build out your entire onboarding if you're trying to target like seven different segments because, because those segments could have different value switch moments and the process that they get there could be different. So we just focus on one. Let's pick one. We focus on and we, we we build it out. I tell my client, just copy your homepage, copy your homepage, put it as a secondary page, and then send qualified traffic to it. If you're focusing on plumbers, or if you want to try plumbers as a potential market, copy your homepage, focus on the needs that plumbers have, and position your product for them, and send traffic to it, and, and build that funnel out. Everything that we do, as far as like strategies, all based around what we understand and know from the customers. So I use this like whiteboard analogy. I only put words on the whiteboard that my customers have told me or that they've said. And I try to avoid assuming things or coming up with my own ideas or sitting around a boardroom and and like brainstorming creative marketing slogans. None of that. I mean, sometimes you'll hit it on the head, but most of the time, from my experience, I'm I'm not as smart as my... um, I can never come up with better strategies than, than when my customer just tells me what they want. So everything is focused around the customer. I would say like 
80% of our process is around finding your customer, interviewing them, figuring out what they need, what they don't want, and then tailoring the product and the, the whole process around what they're hoping to get. So, and, and because everyone's customer is different, that process is different for every SaaS company, you know? So like, I can't say everyone needs to use app queues because some people don't need app queues. Like it's just so simple. They don't need it. Right. So I, so based on what we figure out from the customer, that's where we figure out, okay, what tools do we need to solve the problem that your customer has? Now that's really interesting. And I think you hit on kind of a a topic that I want to explore a little bit in the middle of that, you know, kind of using what my guest is saying rather than <laughs> coming up with a list of questions myself, which is, you know, you kind of you kind of talked about like the interplay between like kind of qualitative versus quantitative, right? And it's not just about analytics data. It's about actually interviewing customers as well and kind of understanding their perspective. Can you talk about like kind of the two different like mindsets that you have to have when working with kind of qualitative versus quantitative data in this process? Yeah, totally. It's a really good question. The great thing for me is that 90% of my customers, the, the SaaS companies are all quantitative. Numbers, 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 like that's it. So the qualitative stuff is like new for a lot of them. And these are brilliant people like SaaS founders and executives and CEOs who are growing these amazing companies and solving massive problems, but they're missing the mark on, on how to position the product for the right person. And so the things as far as focusing on qualitative, like I don't focus a lot on the quantitative stuff. I I do. There's some certain tools that I suggest having that will verify kind of the hypothesis that we come up with, but you know, you can't just guess forever. You can't figure out everything just from talking to your customers, but you can get a lot from talking to your customers. You can't figure out everything. You still want to be able to track what they're doing in the app, you know, what, where people are getting stuck, all that kind of stuff. But as far as qualitative, the pieces of advice I would have for free qualitative is Everybody loves talking about their problems. It's very hard to find someone who doesn't like talking about their problems and um, what frustrates them. Right. (laughs) That has also been my experience. (laughs) Yes. And it's great. It's great because as a business owner, like your job is to solve problems for people. So that's one thing. So that should eliminate some of the fear of, oh, I don't want to talk to my customers. Or I've had companies that I've worked with be like, well, I don't want to talk to my customers because I don't think they're using the tool. And if I talk to them, they might cancel. They might realize, oh, I'm not using your tool anymore. Cancel. And I'm like, that is the wrong attitude. You should be having conversations with your customers on a regular basis. If they're not using your tool, you should get them out of the tool. Right. (laughs) Find customers that are going to use the tool. Like, don't be scared of that. So that's the first thing is don't be scared of talking to the customers. They don't fight. Especially if you say, hey, we've been a customer of ours for a little bit, for a couple of years or six months. I just want to have a, I'd love to know about why you're using the tool and what problems that you're trying to solve to see if we can help solve more problems for you. Or so I can understand how we can build our tool or what features we can add to, to help solve more of your problems. Like, no, it, 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 people love to talk about that kind of stuff. So then once you get them on the phone, it's a matter of, uh, of asking them the right questions. And there's a lot of questions that we ask in the pain exploration process. The two most important questions are, tell me more and what else? Those are two things. If I ask the question, what's happening in your business that's caused you to start using a, a booking tool? Uh, and they go on and on and on. I say, great. What else? And they say, well, booking is hard. And I say, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean booking is hard? And let them explain, get them to clarify and sharpen that pencil and let them tell you what specific problems that they're having. And they just, just 
Silence is the third thing. If I were to suggest another thing for qualitative research is don't be afraid of silence. Ask a question. Do not feel the need to fill in the answers. Ask a question and just wait for silence. Silence should be your friend. Eventually, the customer will say, is that what you're looking for? Or is that it? Or I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. That's when you can kind of move on. But before that moment, they're processing their pain. Nobody's asking them these questions. So they have to process it and come up with answers that they haven't you know, had to think about before. So let them do that. So silence is your friend. No, that's really interesting. I like your approach too. It seems like almost like a uh, you haven't been to like law school or anything, right? Because that sounds like Socratic like questioning almost. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I do watch. I listen. I do listen to a lot of law podcasts. Oh, okay, there you go. Like serial. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, <laughs> my my wife's a big fan. Yeah. So no, that that's really interesting. So it sounds like you know Socratic questioning, and then not interjecting your own bias, which which is an interesting one. It seems like too, where you don't want to actually lead because. I found, you know, in the customer interviews that I do, which, you know, you wouldn't think that somebody on the paid media side of things necessarily needs to. But when you're putting together like a media plan, like understanding how people consume and stuff is really important. And so I find that a lot of the times if I indicate what I want, even by accident or whatever, people will tend to just try and agree. People want to be agreeable. So like silence is a great tip because, you know, oftentimes I'll just kind of jabber on and they'll be like, yeah, that's what I meant. And you know, it's not necessarily the truth. Right. <laughs> right. And that's not what you want. Exactly. It's not what you want. Yeah. And not at all. So it's interesting. So we're kind of going through this qualitative and then the quantitative side of it. When you're going through quantitative, right. And you said, you know, 90% of it is like the data uh, or, you know, 90% of what they're already looking at is data. What factors are you looking for on the quantitative side? How do you put together like, I guess, a, a human personable story with that data, right? The qualitative is obviously a human story out of the gate. But, you know, how do you put that together in a sense that makes sense to people and put together like that illustrate the journey, if you will, right? To find where the hiccups are in the process. Totally. So in the process of trying to figure out what your, I call it the value switch moment is, or the aha moment. In that process, there's two places you can be at. One is you could know for a fact what what the value moment is. There's a lot of SaaS companies out there who've studied the data, who have analytics teams that are looking at all the data, and they know that if a customer does this, this, and this, they're most likely to convert. And so their whole onboarding process is focused on that. Most people don't fall into that category. Most people have an assumption. And so what we do is we come up with an assumption and we call it the first value hypothesis. What is the event that your customers need to experience for them to have value with the product and to see the value. And then we work backwards from that. What are the steps they need to get there? So usually it's between like three and five, six steps that a customer needs to go through that are absolutely essential to get them to experience that value moment. Now, the quantitative element to that is, one, we want to verify, okay, is our hypothesis true? So are those the actual steps that customers need to go through? And then two, we want to see if we're wrong, what are the steps we're missing? And so there's, that's quantitative stuff. And there's really, you you can't ask a customer, okay, what did you do, you know, in the app that caused you to have success with the product? So you need to quantify, you need to quantify that. And there's tools that will do that. There's tools like uh, bare metrics and kiss metrics, uh, hot jar, you know, we'll, we'll record sessions. The tool that I like to use is called inner trends. And I'm not affiliated with them, 
But with that tool, you're able to look at, you're able to put a test hypothesis in and then look at the data and first see where people are getting hung up on the onboarding process. Like if there is a step in the onboarding that says install our plugin and people are dropping off there, that's a huge opportunity for you to fix that process. And there's things you can do, right? You can create more videos. You can show how easy it is to do it. You can, you know, there's lots of stuff you can do to make that process easier. But if you don't know where where customers are getting hung up on, you don't know where to focus your efforts. And so a tool like Intertrends will show you that. But you have to have a hypothesis first. You have to have like a, a, a plan. And then it's a matter of testing the plan against the data and then refining it based on what your users are doing. Right. No, that's, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that that's a, a disciplined, right way to kind of approach it. And so it sounds like you've got this down to like a pretty solid process. And I mean, I think that's one of the advantages, like we talked about earlier around niching, right? Into like just doing one thing and knocking it out of the park. And there's always a lot more there than you'd think. What are some of the unexpected and kind of weird things you run into in this process? Do you have like any kind of like funny stories and like, you know, kind of an unexpected stuff, you know, maybe when you first got into it or, you know, to this day that um, kind of pop up in this process? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, people don't like to talk about their failures. I like to talk about my failures because it's not sexy. And it's not- Oh, I've, I failed constantly. I failed a oh, ton. Yeah. I fail. Yeah. I failed daily. <laughs> like, at things. So, I mean, it's just about recognizing it and changing it quickly. <laughs> and hopefully yeah, not yeah, exactly. failing the next time. <laughs> exactly. And not doing the same thing the next time. Right. So I've had, we, when we first took on clients, I told clients, all right, pay me, you know, X amount of dollars. And we're going to fix your onboarding. If you don't see an increase in conversions, we'll give it all back to you. And we would we would do so much work. And when you have an offer like that, you have to deliver results. And so um, you have to figure out what's working and what's not working. And so we um, we built out this entire onboarding process for a client. We redid all of the emails, and it didn't have a 0.1% increase, no increase in conversions at all, and it totally failed. And so that was fantastic. I wrote a check back to him for how much he paid me. And I said, thanks to have a great day. And it was a pleasure working with you. And, and, uh, and we, and then I looked at that and said, what happened? Like, what did we, what did we not do? Uh, and, you know, we realized that we had missed this entire process of the value switch. We didn't, we didn't understand what the value switch was. We didn't spend time interviewing the customers. We just thought email would solve the problem. And it didn't like email is not the solution to your onboarding problems, but that's kind of what we, what we figured. So that was great. That kind of launched some of these frameworks uh, and and helped me figure out what it is that we need to do in order to solve all the problems in onboarding. So that was like a really great failure. I've had plenty of those in the past. Another thing that I love doing, and and this is just like uh, over time, like you just start to see things that work and things that don't work, regardless of the audience. And so sometimes I can go in to a company and look at their pricing page. I can look at their homepage. And then within a few minutes, we can make some changes and, and see like a 30 to 50% increase in conversions, like right away, like no question. We just did that with a client a few days ago. I looked at what, you know, what are their, what is the top visited page on your site? And what are we doing to get more trial signups from that page? Didn't even focus on the homepage. And we changed the offer a little bit on this most visited page. And then we saw it was a 40% increase in the first six days. The test is still ongoing, but like over time, you just start to know, you just start to see how to change things, but it's taken a while to get there. You know, I mean, I, 
I could I couldn't have been able to do this a few years ago. But it's like almost magical too for clients and for me to kind of see what small changes we can make. So those have been really fun experiences. Mm-hmm. No, that's really interesting. And so you say small changes, but that said, you know, how, how often does the change the button color <laughs> sort of thing actually work? Does that, does that yeah, ever so, happen? <laughs> I mean, we don't even, I very rarely even focus on the design or the color scheme or whatever, logo, branding. No, I bring it that's up because like, it's kind of a meme almost in the It in is. The, among, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it is. You hear about Amazon changing the color of their button and increasing conversions by like 2% or something. And that's like an extra $20 million a month for them, right? And we think, oh, that's what I need to be focusing on is the color of my buttons or this and that. What, what we focus on is less on that and more of how do we position the product to show that it will solve the customer's problem better? And how do we reduce friction? How do we overcome objections? I mean, look, you look at sites like Craigslist and Drudge Report. The offer is amazing. Like it's a great offer. The sites are terrible, terribly designed, ugly sites. Right. <laughs> yeah, they are. I say um, high demand and low competition equals terrible design. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's okay. You can have terrible design if you're the only one selling a specific thing. None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff really matters. You're the only one. But but yeah, we. when I say small changes, what I'm referring to is just like positioning things differently. Instead of try our software, you know, saying things like our try for free as a headline, say uh, eliminate booking frustrations. Click here to start. Interesting. So focusing less on the benefits and more on the pain points sometimes it seems yeah, like. Yeah. Well, well, benefits also, but the benefits usually always address a specific pain point that we're, we're going after. So combined, yeah. Right. I, I guess I should have phrased like focusing less on like the product features and really more kind of on the pain point and benefit rather. No, that, that, that's incredibly interesting. And so you mentioned, you know, that a lot of this is around kind of positioning, right? And that's really interesting to me. And so do you find that like the positioning strategies change depending on you know, where in the market they are, like a market leader versus a kind of incumbent versus a, no one's ever heard of me before. Do, do those have like a substantive impact on how you approach that positioning? Yeah, totally. Most of the companies I work with are not multi-billion dollar companies. They're, they're smart startups. They have a great product. They just need some guidance, some help to leverage whatever they're, whatever they have currently. And so a lot of times the best way to do that is to just position the product either for focusing on a specific market segment or just repositioning the product to focus more on solving the pain that they solve instead of the features and marketing speak. And uh, like we talked about this earlier, but hyperbole, like that doesn't, that doesn't work in SaaS because there's, there's a lot of competition a lot of times for these products. I have clients who are competing against Squarespace, who are competing against Calendly. And the easiest way for us to differentiate ourselves is to focus on a specific market. If I'm a dentist, I'm more likely to go for Grizzlebook, which is the calendar booking system for dentists, than I am Calendly because it's built for me. So that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm uh, from now on dentists are the only market that I serve, but you can have multiple paths and funnels that focus on these different industries. And uh, App Institute does that really well. They're, they sell apps. It's one of those things. It's like everybody, you know, who is your customer? Well, anybody that needs an app. Well, it's like, okay, well, that's not helpful because 
how are we going to target those people? But if we focus on a specific market segment and we take the product that already exists and we position it to solve the pains that that market has, that the unique pains, that's it. I mean, it's just, you don't need to change the back end. You don't need to, you can, you can even increase the pricing because now the value is higher if you position it correctly. Right. And I think that makes a lot of sense too, because I mean, that's something that, you know, I mean, I found myself just to kind of relate it back. Like I found myself doing, you know, where, and I, I provide a service, not a product, obviously. So it's a little bit different, but like, I think that when you can personalize it down to a level of specialty, you know, that, that really is appealing to kind of these high value market segments. Right. And you can do a lot to address their specific pain points and really edge out like you said, like big competitors, right? And so like functionally, as like a paid digital expert, right? I can't, I'm not going to compete with uh, WPP, right? Like there's just no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat them at like large scale campaigns, right? But what I can do is I can address the needs for attorneys specifically, right? And I can move and be more agile and keep up to specific solutions for them. And so edge out that market, right? And then grow from there. And you don't have, and that's true, you don't have to stay there forever. I think that it's another interesting point that you can just start in one place, just own it, and then, you know, add another place in, right? And build out kind of in that very intentional sort of way. So that's an interesting kind of point too that I kind of wanted to segue into, which is, have you seen a lot of clients where you've gone in and you've said, your customer segment is actually all wrong. And that's why your conversion rate is terrible because I've run into that from my end where I've, you know, sat down with people and I've gone, Hey, um, I know that you think that your perfect customer is a 25 to 34 year old woman that lives in a major metropolitan area and is wealthy and a socialite, but it actually turns out that Midwestern moms are who's buying your product. (laughs) And so you need to kind of change to accommodate that a little bit. Do do you see that a lot? You know, kind of, I guess, I don't want to say delusion, but just kind of misunderstanding whose people customers are and then like kind of helping them change their positioning and to um, accommodate that. Is that like a big thing? You know, I think more of a problem than that in the SaaS world is customers saying, we have so many different types of people using our product that we don't want to specialize. We don't want to focus on a specific market because that way, if we decide we only want to focus on attorneys, then all the other people that are visiting our site are not going to sign up. Well, we can solve all their pains, you know, like we can, we can do that. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I, I just goes out on the phone with a, a client a couple of days ago and they are saying, we have lots and lots of people that use our product and lots and lots of people love it. And, and that's a problem. You can't put in Facebook marketing. You can't put in a targeting option of lots of people or everyone who needs a booking or people who are zero to 99 men and women worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zero to 99 people with problems or people who need more money. Like you can't do that. So you have to focus. Otherwise you're just swimming in, in confusion. I mean, the suggestion I made for them was, all right, well, let's look at who are the customers that you have right now that love your product. And they're like, well, you know, we do a lot of coaches, coaches and consultants. We just love our product. And I'm like, well, there we go. So let's, you know, that might only be 20% of your market, but let's just focus on the, I said, copy your homepage, duplicate it on your, on your site, call it, uh, the name of the company, uh, well, they, they do they do webinars. So it would be, um, we just copy the page, make it all about webinars for coaches, How to, you know, the webinar tool for coaches. That's it. 
That's all you need to do. You don't need to change the pack. You don't need to change the product. All you need to do, we have a process where we list in order, like what are the biggest frustrations the customers have and the aspirations. And we just make sure the homepage like addresses those items. And we say, you know, we just put those in order. And then, so when they land on the page, like, yeah, this is exactly what I need. And then I said, you know, just send traffic to that page for consultants and coaches. Leave everything else the same. Leave everything else the same. At some point, you might want to move over into just doing coaches and consultants. Like that's there's a big enough market for that. And yes, there are going to be people out there who could really use your product that are not going to ever know about it. But it's better to do that than to try to solve everyone's problems for for everyone. No, I think that that's an incredible, incredible piece of advice. And so this has been incredibly insightful so far. Um, Really, I'm actually even learning a ton about, you know, kind of positioning and understanding, you know, how to kind of find that perfect customer and how to position a product properly for, for them to get the most, you know, maximum amount of value. What are some sort of takeaways that you think, you know, if you could kind of give general advice to the SaaS world about their conversion rate <laughs> optimization, what are some things like, you know, one or two things you pe- see people screwing up a lot and one or two things you see and you wish people would do more? One of the big things that I've seen is some SaaS companies will put their best stuff in their paid plans. And the only way that you can access this really cool feature is if you join a paid plan. That's a huge mistake. So what I suggest is giving everyone access to all your best stuff and limit that. I call it the drug dealer method. Give away your best stuff, but limit it and make (laughs) it free and give it to as many people, as many of the right people as possible. Get them hooked. Get them hooked. And then when they realize, (laughs) oh, I need this in my life. Then uh, that's my drug. That's my druggy voice. Uh, <laughs> in my life, I need to have this. I'll pay whatever. I'll pay whatever it takes to get this in my life. That's good. But if your customers can never get to that point during your trial period, that's huge. The second thing is you're not selling a tool. You're not selling a product. You're selling a solution to a problem. I see a lot of companies now. AI seems to be this like big trend now. And so I see a lot of companies doing, we're we're an AI powered booking system or an AI powered this, our custom AI solution, but no one cares about AI. All they care about is that their problem is solved. I don't care if there's like a little man behind the computer, like manually putting in each appointment. I could care less as long as I have my problem solved. I don't care if it's AI. I don't care if it's Jim or Susan (laughs) that's doing it. You know, I don't care. (laughs) I, incidentally, I met a company that did that. They were a SaaS company that actually just had thousands of outsourced, like, Imturk-style people. Yeah, i like, actually heard manually, of that. Manually, you would, you would take a picture, and it would, like, save the information, but it was actually just people manually typing it in. And they would crazy. get, like, a bounty of, like, two pennies for each. Yeah, so it was nuts. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right. It goes to show you nobody has ever signed up for a SaaS product and been like, wow, this is a beautiful code base. Yeah, like that, that, yeah. That doesn't, it's, it's yeah. about like, you know, it's, it's about like getting the problem solved. It doesn't really matter how. It's about getting the problem solved and it's, and it's about the experience they have getting that problem solved. So I can get to Hawaii on a freighter <laughs> in a cargo bin or I can get to Hawaii in first class on uh, Hawaiian Air. I will get the destination, but the experience to get there really has an impact too. So that has to do with like, you know, customer service and making sure that the experience is really good, that the UI is good, all that kind of stuff. But those, those are the two things I would say is you are not selling us, you are not selling a product, you're selling a solution. So when you position your product, features is something that I see all the time 
everybody focuses on features and nobody really is focusing on the benefit of those features. So instead of, uh, I saw working, I was working on this today, WordPress management. That was like one of the, one of the things that they had on their pricing plan, WordPress management. I have no clue what WordPress management means. And what it really meant was you could manage all of your sites from one WordPress dashboard. That's what that meant. Oh, and I was like, well, that sounds much more that's what you say, right? <laughs> like, that's what you say. Don't say WordPress management. Um, or don't put like a, you know, WordPress pro backup plus TM, you know, like that's, that's cool to brand your own stuff, but no one really cares about that. What they care about is the benefit. Right. Right. No, that's, that's brilliant. So, um, I've got a handful of questions in the mailbag and you, and you touched on a few of these before. So I apologize. Obviously, you know, users won't know what you're going to talk about ahead of time, but yeah, just to reiterate, (laughs) uh, we're just going to kind of run through, I got four questions here. So what are your favorite tools that you use for this sort of conversion rate optimization? And I framed it all as conversion rate optimization. So I apologize because I realized that's kind of overly broad, but bear with me. Nope, that's totally fine. A lot of these same principles will apply to any business. It's not just for SaaS. I'm very, I'm speaking very specifically to SaaS because that's the market that I serve. But a lot of these principles work for anyone. So for SaaS specifically, the tools that I would suggest are one, you need to have a trigger-based marketing system, either Intercom or ConvertFox or Drip or active campaign, something that allows you to set up triggers in your app to, to, to send trigger-based emails. The other tool that I suggest is InnerTrends. InnerTrends will answer, I say it answers all of the questions that you've always had about what your users are doing in your product, how much time it takes for them to get from step A to step B, where users are getting hung up on, what are paying users doing that unpaid users aren't doing, what segments are at risk of churning, all that stuff. And th- those, all those data signals can be sent into your intercom or convert Fox account. And you can have s- emails set up to go out when somebody hits that specific trigger. Those are the two, the two big ones. The rest of it is qualitative stuff. It's just figuring out the journey and the path, writing the right emails. Um, but there's really no tool that will do that. We have all the frameworks kind of built out in like in my program, but, but there's no, there's no tool that will do that. And it's cause it's different for everyone, but those are the two that I would suggest. Okay. Great. No, that's fantastic. So question two, how do you find pricing affects conversion rate? And do you deal with pricing issues a lot? You know, I don't really focus a lot on pricing, to be honest with you. You want to, you want pricing. Patrick Campbell with Price Intelligently and ProfitWell is your guy. He knows everything there is to know about how to price a product. He is, he is the expert in that field. If I were just to say one thing on pricing, the, the more value there is in the product, the easier it will be to sell. So if you can show that your product is worth $49 a month, a really, really good example of that is Basecamp's pricing page. They've done a phenomenal job of showing how their their product is worth what they're charging. Uh, and so if you can do that well, build value into the price, price will not be an issue. But as far as like actually selecting the price, a lot of that is just testing your market sensitivity and how much they'll, they're willing to pay. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I like that answer a lot, actually. So, no, I, I do. I mean, it's like, it's honest, right? Like, you, you were you were, you were were great about just like being like the base camp example and things like that. So I think that that's, that's useful. Okay, uh, so what are your favorite blogs or resources you use to keep up in the world of, you know, kind of conversion rate optimization? Oh, boy, I am not, I am not a real blog reader. I am a book reader. 
So what I've kind of done is I've looked at, I look at what are the problems that my market has. And so in this case, it's like customers aren't converting. And I think, all right, well, why aren't customers converting? Well, there's a few things. One, they might have objections. They might, it might be the wrong segment. So then I go and I learn about how to overcome objections or how to address objections. I learn how to overcome pricing problems. I learn how to, uh, how to get people to take action and do certain things. So I will go research certain topics and usually through books. I mean, I have a, I, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I got all these books, no Lamborghinis, but I have tons of books. And <laughs> yes, but how many, but the real question, how many houses in the Hollywood Hills do you have? <laughs> yeah, I have no houses in the Hollywood Hills. I have no, I don't even live in the Hills, no Lambos, <laughs> but I have all these books. And so I will use these books to figure out solutions and then tailor them to problems that my market is having. And so I, I don't do blogs necessarily because a lot of that, it's hard to find good content. You want good content? Lincoln Murphy with 16 Ventures has phenomenal content. Dan Martell, the founder of Clarity, he has a YouTube channel and it's fantastic. Pricing Patrick Campbell with Price Intelligently. And then uh, and then you have all the other guys like Hitton Shaw and with you know uh, Crazy Egg and Sujan Battelle with content marketing. Like there's a, there's a lot, there's a few faces in SaaS that are really prolific at putting out content. If you're learning about that kind of stuff, that's where I would go. But me personally, I don't review. Maybe I should. I should probably be reviewing a lot of that stuff. But I just learn stuff from books and, <laughs> and I have a few mentors that I work with and I usually just get most of my stuff from them. <laughs> so, No, that's true. Most of the best tips are timeless, right? It's just about application. And so I, I find that true as well. Like, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I do is analogous to direct marketing, right? And that really got perfected in the 80s with mail, like like physical, actual mail. And so like, it's a lot of the same lessons learned. So I appreciate that answer. That's a good one. And then uh, last question, how much does copy and images affect conversion rate optimization on landing pages? I guess my question would be, what else is there other than copy and images? True. Yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> so, kind of that is so, a fair I mean, retort. <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty much it. I mean, it has everything to do with your conversions. If you're talking about like versus demos or one-on-one demos or whatever, uh, yeah, demos will convert higher, but they're not super scalable, especially if your product, your customer value isn't high enough. So, copy and images have everything to do. Images less so. I usually suggest putting in not images. But uh, gifts. So no, no women laughing eating salads. That's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, unless, unless you're selling like you know salad. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. That's, yeah, that's that's good. I mean, images images convey certain emotions. So so you, if you want to make your customers feel a certain way, that's one really good way to do it, or illustrate a, how something will help them. But I'm not a design expert. My focus is mainly on copy. And then everything revolves around copy, right? That's like the main thing is everything should revolve around the messaging and the copy and then everything else comes secondary. So like another question, it's pr- pretty much copy is like 90% images or I don't know, maybe 10%. I might be totally off on that too. <laughs> I, I don't know. No, it's I just, it's copy's, fair. Copy's a huge part of it. It's fair. I mean, I've seen, you know, landing pages that are pure copy, no images at all. And they're kind of like, almost advertorial style, like, you know, progression and like super long scrolls and just like breaking every rules that convert like gangbusters. So I think that, you know, just writing a compelling story is, yeah, like you said, it's everything (laughs) or at least 90%. (laughs) 
So, no, this has been fantastic, Aaron. Um, I truly, truly appreciate your time today. You know, I myself learned a ton about, you know, understanding the customer pain points and how to address those and, you know, how to position products and kind of just have combine the qualitative and quantitative. There's so many gems in here. And, you know, really, really appreciate you taking your time to share with us today. You know, I always end my uh, show by letting anybody pitch whatever they want. And I've gotten a few weird ones in the past, like they have nothing to do with anything uh, that we talked about. So feel free to like pitch whatever you like, um, you know, and just, yeah, go for it. Yeah, totally. So so I have two two offers. I have a free guide. It's called the Onboarding Email Formula. If you go to aaronkral.io, it's A-A-R-O-N-K-R-A-L-L.io, um, and just go to the download the Onboarding Email Formula. It talks about a lot of the stuff, um, examples of some, of some good emails, how to build out your path of first value, um, really, really good stuff. The other thing is every month I do a three-day workshop where I add we make some changes to a, your onboarding process that will add an, at least $100 extra to your revenue and you pay out of profit. So if you, um, we've got the process narrowed down, we have a qualification process you have to go through, but if you, if you kind of fit, you're guaranteed to see an increase in the revenue, at least $100 a day in extra revenue for the rest of companies around. Yeah. So um, if you, if you'd like, like more details on that, I'm still, uh, we put that together once a month, we only have a couple people in the group, you know, a handful of people. Um, just you'd reach out to me through uh, through my website. You just go to AaronCrowd.io and um, you can contact me there. That's fantastic. Well, Aaron, thank you so much again. Truly appreciate your time. For everybody out there listening, you know, take all of the gems that were in this, use them to kind of help grow your free trial to paid folks, you know, really kind of take this positioning to heart. It's something that, you know, I see a lot of people not paying enough attention to. And I think that, you know, if you've been listening, you can kind of hear the immense value that's in here about why that's so important. So thank you all for listening and happy marketing.